0: Umaru, nima itu huskri, iskra kikimai, sku
1: usta iskra, nah hustai.
0: Welcome to Con Langer, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley. With me is the talented William Anis. Hello. And uh, we also have the wide-eyed and bushy-tailed uh, Mike Lentine. <laughs> Hello.
2: <laughs> I, I do not I don't, I don't quite Are you talking about a ponytail because it's very human and is quite bushy right now?
0: (laughs) I don't even know what. That's just something that, um, that like my grandfather used to say or something. I don't know. That does seem to be (laughs) what I was going for there. Yeah.
1: Anyway, um... so I had fun this week. I met one of our listeners. Oh my! Really. Wow. Uh, Who, where, where, why, he's a he's a Matt, he's a graduate student um in Chicago uh-huh. at Northwestern, I think, and he was in Madison learning how to culture fungus. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> at UW in a lab. So he we exchanged email and we met uh one evening and we chatted long about conlangs. Oh, um, that's cool. It was cool. Uh a lot of fun. There were two things wow. that sort of Excuse me, George. Wow.
0: Oh, uh, I was just going to say, uh, I wish I could uh, meet one of our
1: listeners. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> Maybe eventually. Um, one thing that, that it reminded me of is, years ago, I don't think people do this as much as they used to. Like, if you were on a mailing list with a hobby, there would be, you know, you'd come up with a code. So, that in the signature to your email, you'd put this extremely condensed notation of everything you were into with relation to the hobby, so there's a conline code, um, and what was interesting about Matt is, unlike me, when I get bored with a language, I start a new one, whereas he's definitely a reviser.
2: Oh, really? Yeah, a <laughs> reviser,
1: um, and we're going to be talking about a reviser language today, so that that's kind of appropriate. Oh. And th- th- for me, the, the the most amusing moment of our conversation is we were talking about sort of phonesthetic things. You know, what sort of sounds do you like? What sort of sounds do you <laughs> not like? Uh-huh. Um, and he mentioned that he really doesn't care for the English R. Oh, the, retrof- the retroflex that, one? That rhotic herb yeah. thing. And then I told him about the Yurok language from California, which has rhotic harmony. Oh, really? <laughs> so that uh, non high vowels can assimilate and become rhotics depending on morphology. And the look of pure horror and disgust on his face when I mentioned that. <laughs> <laughs> was really, was really worth it. So I just thought that was interesting how strong some conlangers feel about certain sounds. Huh. Wow. I don't know. It really was it's disgusting. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was like some, you know, a, a dead week old squid or something had been dropped on the table in front of us. It was quite remarkable.
0: Huh. I think sometimes um, feeling against that particular sound comes from the perception that it's Englishy, because I know that I used to not like, I used to really hate that sound. Uh-huh. But then I learned Chinese, which some, in some cases it has that sound. In some cases it has a retroflex fr- fricative um, right. in, in yeah. place of that sound. But uh, I guess once I realized that it wasn't something that was unique to English, then I realized that it's not really that bad a sound.
1: <laughs> no, it's not I, so bad after all. It's not so bad. <laughs> I mean, it, it is a bit unusual, the sound is. I, I think... Well, I don't know. Yeah, maybe tell us exactly why he feels that way about that sound. But um, I, I'm not sure that it was entirely because it's English, right? Lots of people use lots of English sounds in their conlangs, and still there seems to be a wider hostility to er, uh, just like there is to ash.
2: Yeah, I'm not a fan of ash. Yeah, no one, no one seems to be. <laughs> but I'm, I mean, I'm trying to get around it. I'm trying to get over it. But
0: then a lot of a lot of conlangers are rather fond of the th sound.
2: Right. Yeah. I, I like it. I, I even like fact, I like the voiced one actually. The ev, I think. We've, yeah, we've called I think.
0: But both of them are fairly uncommon, if I understand. But yeah, but
2: um, I can, I see the ev at least in Spanish when the d you know becomes uh, weakened, like right. you know, So and in European varieties of Portuguese,
1: yeah, um,
0: yeah. I, I I can't really talk much about that because you know I have uh, the in aereo and. <laughs> It looks like both of its descendants are going to have the sound as well. But yeah. I'll try not to make too many other languages in that world have that sound. <laughs> Once I get yeah, around to
2: making those. See um, I have them, yeah. but I have I have a good bit of non English sounds as well, so I feel like it's a it's an okay mix and there are some English sounds that I don't have, so
0: Mhm. So anyway, that was that that's um that's Nice that you were able to meet somebody. I think you know. Once I get to um, once I get to Wisconsin, we'll have two of the hosts in the same place. We might be able to
1: arrange for more of that kind of thing to happen. Sure, that, sure. That sounds like a cool. I think uh, I, I'm I'm been trying to remember and sort of racking my brain, but I suspect that Matt was the first hobbyist conlanger I have ever met. Right. Met, Con Langer I mean, Paul Fromer. I've met several times.
2: I'm not sure what I mean. No, I'm not sure I know what you mean.
1: I mean, Paul. You Frommer mean in real is in professional. Right? Yes, in real life, face to face, not oh. virtual. Oh, I understand now. Yes.
0: Yeah i i I'd like I'd like to use the podcast as an opportunity to meet Conlanger's face to face. Although awesome. I, I will try to make it out to uh, LCCs if I can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway, we've uh, digressed a little bit far on that. Um, it's uh, it's a it's right. a it's a nice topic for conversation.
2: Uh. But we do with have our... to do an actual show. Well, with our uh, new well, our new layout, it seems like it's a lot shorter now. So we are not as pressed necessarily.
0: Yeah, we can BS a little bit, but <laughs> we do want to talk about uh as people should know by now, we've just we've recently changed the format of the show, so we will not have a linguistics topic on this particular episode. Instead, we are just going to talk about a feature talk to- conlang and we've got one that we can talk about pretty far. We're going to talk uh-huh. about um I guess this is, could be as close as you can get to a, uh, a classic within the, the, the hobbyist sphere, not counting, uh, Tolkien stuff. Um, although this guy is very much influenced by Tolkien stuff. Yep. The, we're going to talk about Amanyar. Um, and it was created by, what's the name of the author, William? David Bell. David Bell. Okay. And so we have this site with white text on a black background. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to mention that. Uh-huh. Um and William, you say in your notes this is like a 30 plus year project. Yep.
2: Whew.
1: Wow. So, right. So this is one of the the things that that we I mentioned earlier. This uh Bell was not what I call the serial monogamist conlanger, right? He had one conlang and he kept working on it, um, for all time. (laughs) Um, unfortunately the inventor has died, um, early in this century. So there's not going to be anything new. And as uh, David mentioned in one of our shows or whatever, um, there's a lot of information about the language, which is locked away in notebooks. So short of that being scanned or put online or something, we, we only have what we see in front of us. Yeah. But it is, it is sort of a, a, a classic of the genre. Um, and one, one thing that I'm just going to talk about from time to time a little bit to focus on the, and the people who create them sort of part of the tagline is it represents sort of an interesting stage in the history of conlanging, at least in the anglophone world. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a number of things that I see. I'm like, Oh, yes, that was very popular for a while on conlang L. So not, not so much. It just, it showed, it's not like it's, um, he ever mechanically just grabbed something and, and stuck it in place. It's just, I think he's one of the first people to really push on. Like ergativity, which we're going to talk about more, and and yeah. a really deep thinking about ergativity—not just I'm going to do ergative absolutive, but a lot of yeah. um, thought mm. went into uh, sophisticated thought. non not not just surface thought went into what he did. Mm. Uh, and I have to admit, for years, I have just found the language daunting.
2: Yes, um, but it's not so bad. I mean, it's
1: not so bad when you hit <laughs> There's a lot of material. Mm. The interlinear's can be a little dense. Um mm-hmm. and as the the layout is very deeply period. <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the web design yeah. is definitely of a period, um, which makes it a little frustrating sometimes to navigate. But having read it for the show, there's a lot. I, I have a much deeper appreciation for it, and now I know why David gave it this, this smiley award. Because
2: when I when I say it's not so bad, I don't mean that I thought it was bad before. It's kind of like you know, just like when you see this huge book and you're like, oh my gosh, it's too immense to even tackle when you do get down and sit in front of it and read it and appreciate it, you know, with just going through, it's not, it's, uh, you know, you end up glad that you did and a better appreciation. Just like you said,
0: one thing I've noticed. Yeah. And I probably am at a disadvantage in that I'm just looking at, at it now, but, Mm. uh, clearly looking at, uh, I just started with the phonology, and even that is richly detailed. There's yes. a whole lot of phonological processes that go on. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, an interesting point about the background is, and th- the whole thing is deeply inspired by Token.
2: Yeah, you can definitely see that.
1: Yeah, the founding myth kicking things off comes from, you know, Token's world, the idea of some elves trying to flee. And got shipwrecked someplace far away. Mm. And this is the history of the language. His preoccupation was phone aesthetic concerns. um, And uh, a bunch of other things that I'll mention as we go through that look very much like Tolkien's language. Now, what's interesting is he didn't use, except for a few borrowings, any existing Elvish vocabulary for Mm. the most part. He generated a huge list of roots and worked from that. I mean, like he had a computer generate roots. And he worked mm-hmm. from that, but obviously within that framework, he imposed a lot of decisions that produces a similar result and a similar effect.
2: Now, when yeah. have either of you ever gone with that um, that method of having roots produced and then working from there? Oh yeah, um,
1: not in the historical way that Bell did. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do use word generators to keep me from overusing certain sounds. Um,
2: I've yeah, I just used one the other day. I was trying to find something. Yeah, and, and I don't yeah, ever I've, assign meaning that way. But oh no, yeah,
0: yeah. I've started. I've st- I, I I've started using word generators just since this podcast has been going on because I used to make up words by hand, and mm-hmm. for that reason, Irio has an ungodly number of words that start with um, aspirated k. Ka, ka. Yeah,
2: so. uh
0: <laughs> I don't know why that it was originally a voiceless k and for some reason I just start with k k all the time. I don't know why. So a lot of my uh, words Yeah, it's too. a very <laughs> good idea to use a word generator.
1: Um no. Uh-huh. I'm sorry, go on.
0: Um so anyway, yeah, this in many ways this um this language it sounds like an elvish language. Uh, you see, you have words like Aldare, Eldaire, uh, you know, and, uh, let's see what some other, other examples he has. Um, oh, I don't know. I'd have to look at the, um, Endar, Nirion, all sorts of, uh, these, um, these, Words, but he also in the grammar, it's not really like that, like uh
2: not uh, even a little
0: it, before it, it's uh-huh. ergative absolutive
1: uh-huh
2: uh-huh I note, and yeah um, but it doesn't also have um oh, I wrote my notes down it also has uh it shifts sometimes what based on the uh is it animacy like there's or
1: yes, the animacy hierarchy, the pronouns have a different alignment than yes. Right, um, right, and there are other things. Let's—I want to say a few more things before we get to the ergative-absolutive thing, because um that is an, an important part of, of the language. Um, well, for um, me, uh-huh. the the sort of top-level impression of the language, having a chance to stare at it in more detail, is that it's a, a really interesting mix of highly naturalistic stuff with then other corners of the language, which struck me as very artificial and overspecified, almost almost to an englangy degree for okay. a few things. Mm-hmm. And We can talk about those a bit when we hit different parts of the grammar.
2: Um before we depart from the um the ph- phonolo- ph- phonology phonology um also another thing that really when I was reading I didn't know he had influence from the elvish at all but I bell started going off when I got to the lenition and some of the um phonological processes and the polarization and those really just started like whoa hello there I know you Yep, from Welsh and, and yep. all, all C- of them. Sindarin.
1: Mm-hmm. Cindar. Yeah, yeah, I mean, well, there are several a... things that comes from Sindarin. The funnest that it concerns the umlauting pluralization. Yeah. Um, the definite article is highly elaborated in this language, but it sure looks in origin like it comes from uh, the, the Tolkien-Elmish languages. Mm.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, he does have a dedication to Tolkien on the front page, so that's a clue that... Uh... Yeah that may have been an influence. He also yeah, has my- a de- dedication to Hildegard van
1: Bringen, though, too. And we got from um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the patron saint of conlingers. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, do we want to get into the ergative-absolutive stuff? Well, is that... Uh, sure. I suppose. Um, He discusses a lot of this in his preliminary concepts right yeah the preliminary concept section and what's interesting is as we've hinted at before is it's not just that it's ergative absolute yeah i really wish that somebody could go through sometime and keep track of trends and do timelines oh. especially on conlang l and then the other forms as they developed of what sort of features become popular mhm and there was a while when you could not ever read your email without seeing some discussion of ergativity hmm uh, practically um, you know
0: we have computational linguists in this thing. I think somebody could take the corpus of what Conlang l with the dates and search it for
1: maybe they could maybe they could that sh- someone who's into that can do that that would be great because the archives are yeah. mostly public I mean some archives are lost but yeah no that would be interesting um, and Amanyar, not just, you know, like I said before, it doesn't just plunk down ergativity. It, there's a lot of thinking about the ergativity. And um, so we have the, the animacy split. We have a lot of concern for syntactic stuff, which is very subtle, um, and which I often do not see very well defined in um, ergative conlangs. Um, at all. For example, the syntactic ergativity section, which is one, two, two on the ergativity Mm -hmm. page, discusses, um, things like conjunction reduction. Yeah. And, and, and pivot reduction and so forth like that. So, um, in English, I can say the man walked into the barn and got kicked by a horse. And in the second clause, we use the passive because we've already established that we care most about the man. Mm -hmm. So we can drop, you know, uh, the man. The man walked into the barn and got kicked by a horse, and that dropping is permitted because we have a rule in English that says the subject is preserved. In Amanyar, only the absolutive can be preserved.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: From clause to clause, which means that he has an antipassive, which actually gets used for what antipassives are for.
2: Hmm. Um... One thing that I like about this, and you mentioning the pivot uh, reminded me, I like that in the uh, preliminary concepts, and he introduces a lot of what he's going to be talking about in as if you don't know. I mean, I did have to look it up a little bit, but he described, he said, blah, 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 this will be called the pivot relation. Blah, 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 this will be called the argument rather than subject and uh, predicate or something. He did a good job of that. Mm -hmm. I liked it.
1: No, I actually think, and that's one of the takeaways for – especially beginner conlangers, even, even if you don't want to learn Amanyar, the, his discussion of as preliminaries, I think is a, a good introduction. I mean, it's probably not sufficient on its own to introduce these concepts, but if you're banging your head on these ideas and still don't have it, yeah. um, spending some time looking at his discussion of it is worthwhile, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the, the detail for his interlinears is very high in some sections and pretty gappy in others. I get the impression he was in the middle of fixing all of those uh-huh to make them more detailed using some um shoebox tool. Um, yeah. so for these sections, at least the detail's there, so if you're prepared to stare at interlinears, you can you know pick things apart and and find out what's going on
2: although sometimes between the interlinears, I wasn't quite sure what i mean I know in the beginning he does say which are which. But sometimes you see five lines and you're like, OK, which one am I looking for to find what? You know, it's uh, right. I, but I mean, I'm glad that he put that information there. And um given the format that he laid it out in, there's nothing to do but put them all in the same text. If it were a little more contemporary, maybe it would be in different colors or different fonts or something like that.
1: Right. I mean, he does his interlinears are complex because he, first he's got the original language. Then he has the morphological breakdown, which matters a lot because there are all sorts of, as we've said before, phonological processes that cause deletions and insertions and all sorts of fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, then what we get was what, a normal interlinear gloss. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he has effectively part of speech marking is an extra interlinear. Yeah. And then finally the, the translation at the bottom. Um, and in addition, he may have, as I might notice to his confusion, a yet another language um, in the example. Yeah. Which is not yeah, it was a language which is related to Amon Yar, but he didn't really develop. He obviously developed it, right? He's got lots of examples, but what all was going on there is not known.
0: hmm
1: hmm Yeah. Um, from the standpoint of sort of a document of the history of conlanging, his notes have stuff that I consider sort of typical dialect notes for a lot of early conlangs, which is he mentions a few sound differences says this dialect, you know, or that dialect does this slightly different thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Without really thinking about all of the differences that dialects can have, grammar differences, morphological differences, syntactic differences, um, really he just talks about sound changes, but, you know, it's fine. Uh-huh.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: just in terms of phonology, okay, so he's got a writing system.
2: Yeah, which... I, didn't, I didn't get a chance to look at it. I was yeah. looking at it on a work computer and I couldn't download things. Right. During my lunch break, I, I was not breaking anything. <laughs>
1: um I I didn't even I didn't even bother. I'm just not a big <laughs> font guy. So George, did you take a look at it or no? Uh
0: no, I didn't uh see the uh uh I did not download any fonts or anything, so I'll go download think it now. I really saw it.
1: Yeah. Um uh, what was I gonna say? In terms of phonology, the the thing that's most Sort of interesting to me is the pronunciation of the sound he writes, H. Um, let me find, how does he describe it? It's kind of funky. H uh, follows the same distribution as other consonants, but is articulated as the voiceless counterpart of the following vowel. Ah. In some dialects, ah. it is sometimes heard as a voiceless fricative, H, near the mountains. This may be heard as a glottal fricative. I don't know what that means.
0: Glottal fricative? Yeah. Ah. Uh-huh. Okay, <laughs> guys, such a charming noise.
1: <laughs> it's no, no, <laughs>
0: glottal fricative, that, that would be ha. Huh, huh. That would that's, just be plain ha. Huh. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh-huh.
1: Um, the uh-huh. thing that struck me about this is um, the Blackfoot language does something somewhat similar to H, where it's pronounced basically as the velar fricative, huh, but strongly colored by a vowel sound. So, you know, with your mouth wide open for the vowel sounder. Speaking
2: of uh, pretty sounds, yeah. Yeah, yeah, more pretty sounds. <laughs> um, so I thought that
1: was an interesting thing to just sort of chuck that out. And then one interesting note to me also in the proto-language was that it didn't have voiced stops. Huh. For the proto-language he discusses, which again, for early conlangs especially, I expect a nice big honking sound inventories. But he said no. Nope. Hmm. Um, the f- very funny thing about the stress system is that it was so complex, he had to have actual linguists figure out what he was doing. <laughs> so uh, early, class, no, um, okay. when he was still on the list, he had Dirk Elzinger and Matt Pearson. In fact, he even uh, says the, the following description of syllable structure and stress patterns is based on an analysis of by Dirk Elza and Matt Pearson, and is known as the Elsinga-Pearson syllabification stress analysis, EPSA. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, the elegance of this analysis uh, allowed for a much simpler description of these phenomena in Amman So, um, that's a funny bit of collaborative conlanging that I appreciate. Um, and this is where he discusses some of the hanky-panky that happens in Vera when. And the words tend to be quite complex morphologically, so all sorts of stuff happens um which again, if you're prepared to, to stare at the stuff is I think a a more approachable example of this sort of thing than you're going to get in a natural language a natural language mm. um anything about those before we move on to other stuff uh,
2: um, no. he fun- I mean, <clears throat> does have the, the process the-
0: of installing well
2: I'll oh, go ahead. Uh, installing the fonts. On, yeah. Uh, I tried downloading them, but I didn't know what to do with those TTF files, so I didn't do anything. But anyways, um I was gonna say the morphophonetics, um you talked about palatization, labialization, laser mutation, lunition, assimilation, shifts, it's very uh lots of changes in there. Yeah. But not not totally unheard of for language such as Elvish or, you know, uh the Celtic languages. Right. Right.
1: Um Another thing that's interesting from the standpoint of history is I'm looking at the predicate morphology um, is, again, the note, the analysis of amanyar predicates is presented here has been influenced by the work done in this area by Rick Morneau. So it's the gigantic lexical semantics paper again. I'm not it's familiar easy. with the Rick Morneau paper or work. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great tool. It's huge. Um, it's written from the standpoint of producing a... Uh, Computer translation interlanguage. Mm. You'll have lots of languages that target this interlanguage as an intermediary, is the idea. Uh Um, But for people who are not used to thinking about verb structure and argument structure in verbs, Mm. um, you know, anyone who's interested in the middle, like we talked about earlier um, a few weeks ago, will also find um, Morneau's talk, or his papers, interesting, because he really just goes through the details of different kinds of argument structures.
2: I had a... Um, Sorry. Um, I can tell, I can mention it later. It was remind me to t- mention something about the middle voice that funny that happened. Um, <laughs> it's not related to this at all, so.
1: Okay. Um, and within his verb system, we have one of the, the first examples of extreme, s- sort of a very schematic system, which I consider a, unusual, a highly, unnaturally a regular. Um, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. A lot of the things in here like I wouldn't necessarily think of, which I don't know if that was what you meant by uh, over-specified. Um, I think that was the word you used. Maybe that's not what it was, yeah. but um, sometimes it felt kind of like uh, a Lojban, where everything has a place, which isn't bad, but it just feels very almost cumbersome to have to figure out where everything goes and um, over overly attentive to detail rather than focusing on the what I would consider the aesthetic of language and just the flow, but teach yeah. their around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. what was he going to say? Uh, so, um, it was interesting that he has this, it looks like kind of a helping verb that shows yeah. where, what everything is to sort of map out what the other, what the argument structures are and the theta rules. Right. Yep. Yeah. That's
1: I mean, he's another example of someone who's never studied linguistics formally and yet, you know, spent 30 years almost working on the language and reading See. linguistics all the time on the way. Mm-hmm. So the descriptive sophistication is pretty high. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, it is interesting, this sort of cross referencing within the verb of argument structure that he's got going on it strikes me as slightly unnatural in, in just how schematic it is. But um, there's just some, some fun things in it. Um, that remind me a little bit of sumerian of all things where the verb is cross-referenced for argument structure stuff apart from the core cases um although i don't know if
2: he does that for non-core cases. when you say cross-referenced in the verb what do you mean
1: uh so simple verb conjugation is a kind of cross-referencing mm-hmm. where you cross-reference the subject
2: oh so like um basically restating i know there's another word but it's eluding it's me right now Right. Whereas in Sumerian,
1: in addition to subject and object, you have various things, various prefixes are, that happen in the verb chain that say somewhere in this verb clause is a locative phrase. Somewhere in this verb phrase, in this verb clause is a dative phrase.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: it's, it's not fully specified in the sense of it doesn't agree, mm-hmm. but it still signals, um, other grammar, it redundantly signals grammar that's going on in the rest of the clause.
2: Yeah. Redundant, I think is, is the word yeah. I was thinking of.
1: Um, yes. Um, Unfortunately for some of his verb predicate morphology stuff is where we have the the slimmer um, interlinear. So sometimes it's harder to keep track of what's going on. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, uh, One thing that we mentioned, uh, we've mentioned on a previous episode is his lexicon, which Mm -hmm. is uh, obviously, obviously very incomplete. But the entries that are there are fabulously detailed yes Just amazing uh so he has you know you have an entry for uh auto and it has dozen like a dozen different like forms that derive from auto that d- d- that mean different things yeah. it's like he yeah. he took a word. And he did the entry for that word, and the entry for like half a dozen or more
1: words that are derived from it.
2: Yes, and that's that's wonderful. It's very good. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's definitely again more of the the straight up token approach.
2: I wonder how how many of the words actually, like, if you if if there were a, a speaker of Sindarin or Quenya if they would be mutually intelligible. I don't think they would be. No, but. no, no. As
1: I said, he he re, he regenerated the majority of the mm-hmm. roots himself.
2: But I see that the, the pluralization, if I'm not mistaken, is pretty close. The, oh, yeah, the, yeah. The, yeah.
1: I mean, it, it's um, less complex than real Sindarin or mm-hmm. real Welsh, but uh, yeah, it, it definitely, that sort of vowel raising um, as mm-hmm. as the last trace of a final front high vowel, you know, as a final e plural marker Sort of reconfiguring the rest of the word and then disappearing. Hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if it, I wonder if if when he started, he had the final e, and then it, it got evolved out over the three decades, or if he had it as the uh, raising and then later on explained it by means of saying there was an e that was deleted.
1: I don't know. I really don't know. We don't have the earliest stages of this language, and considering how long he worked on it, yeah. I think we can we can assume that the earliest stages of the language were much simpler.
2: He's worked on this longer than I've been alive. Yep. Well he you know, this yeah. this language is old this language is older than I am. It's wow. Yeah. Um and then and a non
1: trivial chunk of my age as well, so huh.
0: By the way, I've installed his fonts, I cannot get his actual um letters to appear.
1: Yeah.
2: I'm guessing it looks probably like the like uh Tengwar is my guess. Is it on omniglot? I'll check that <laughs>
1: frantic typing noises.
2: Um, um,
1: Another thing that is strangely unnatural to me is adjectives
0: Mm.
1: in that there are adjective classes. So every adjective has some sort of prefix which specifies or constrains the semantics of the relationship. Um, So you have a special prefix on all adjectives relating to color, Mm. on shape, on count, on age, on origin, um, material description, so on. I mean, there's a bunch of them. Uh, yeah, I see that. Yeah, uh, and I don't know what effect he was going for there. If this is supposed to be mm-hmm. purely a derivational element, but as it stands, it strikes me as highly Loeschbaum-ish. And this also might be a, a fallout from the Rick Marno lexical semantic stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, even you—if I were going to do a system like this, I would—I would shake it up a little bit. It's just—it's you know constant vowel prefix which granted produces all sorts of fun changes in this language but still
2: yeah i mean i can (laughs) i could see something like this happening like um it kind of reminds me of if i were to do something like this i would have probably thought of it because in chinese you have the and i would i guess it doesn't seem too unnatural for there to be something else if it's a different type of modification like if it's something that's intrinsic or something that's um that can be changed i could see that kind of Shade happening, sure, but this is much more straight up semantics. Right? Yeah, you're Which, right. It is. You mean, right? You know,
1: to say a house is large or small. The root for large or small must have a special prefix saying this is about size.
2: Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. I think sometimes he just kind of he went a little kitchen sinky on this um, in terms of looking at his uh, quote unquote adjective classes. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if you really need to have all these they're they look like just semantic um
2: uh things that are uh, attached my guess or what i would my comment would be is it seems like maybe he and uh i would guess it looks like he want didn't want there to be the same two things used for the same like uh prefix i mean i could see where if you had maybe the same a lot of homophones and the word needed to be distinguished what your meaning was by these prefixes. But um, just as it is, it seems almost like...
1: Yeah, I don't think so. Because, I mean, for example, he has the root for the sense ancient, Mm -hmm. or seiron, already means ancient. What possible extension of that meaning into every semantic field is possible? You don't need the law there. You would expect the default sense to be yeah. I mean, in his defense... Mm -hmm. Many people on first exposure to Rick Morneau's Mexico Semantics gigantic document succumb to the same thing. Certainly I did.
2: <laughs> okay, I'm, it sounds kind of like you're talking about when you, you know, the first time you look at, like, the, the like, look into into the sun, you get burned and you, you know, you go a little crazy for a bit. I am. Um, <laughs> we do
1: not recommend staring into the sun. <laughs> the Conlangary podcast will not be held responsible <laughs> if you stare at the sun.
2: <laughs> like comic is so cool now, <laughs> um,
1: uh, but, but it's the um, same. Th- it's the same sort of yeah. thing, right? You're exposed to this wealth of really useful and interesting information, and then it, it, it takes a while to get assimilated into something usable. Again, if you're aiming at an engineered language, which is what's so weird about Amanya right? There's some stuff that was done in great detail that strikes me as highly naturalistic, but then you get these weird little chunks of like, yeah, um, and the and the adverbs, and adverbs, have adverbs have the same purpose. sort of. Yeah. What? It'd be... I'm sorry.
2: What, George?
0: No, I, I was just saying that the adverbs have the same stuff. These They have suffixes, but they're semantically based, and I don't really... That seems very unnatural to me. Um,
2: I, mm-hmm. Go on. Sorry.
0: The verb stuff is not that weird to me.
2: Well, uh, before we... Um, just before we move off the adjectives, I was going to say it'd be interesting to see if this was something that he created at the beginning when he was still... Quay Green to Calm or if this was something that maybe came after a break. I don't know if he ever took a break, but I think it'd be interesting to see when the different revisions had occurred. But we don't.
1: Well, I assume that we have many giant footsteps of revisions that were done after assimilating or trying to assimilate the lexical semantics paper of Rick Morneau. Yeah. I mean, uh, this this is not obviously the work of a beginner. This is someone who's been digesting a giant work of pretty fussy semantic
2: discussion. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the the verbs are interesting too. Looking at the verb morphology, yeah, mm-hmm. and then there's the post positions portion talking about all different classes there, classes all over the place, yeah,
1: yeah.
2: And, I'm, and, I don't, and that's yeah. fine, that's fine. The, the post positional classes are a little strange. I don't know if certain, I mean, I guess, is that like certain that just like in uh, Russian, certain prepositions take certain cases. Is that the same sort of thing that's going on in this, uh, like? Like spatial is this is the suffix da da, and then it is above is amda, which I'm not sure if the suffix gets appended to the pre- post the preposition itself or the postposition itself, or if that suffix in itself is the meaning of that. Do you know what I mean? I do know what
1: you mean, and I don't know the answer to that question because this section is pretty small, unfortunately. He does. I mean, in addition, in addition of... to the postpositions, he's got a bunch of cases of location that will remind one strongly of Finnish for reasons yeah. that should be obvious. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I was going to say he has a bunch of, uh, locative cases. So,
2: um, but I mean, I could, I could totally see if you had maybe the po- the, the post position itself was the post position, but then having a case that goes on to the post position, it does, it's something just doesn't, maybe I'm misunderstanding it. The case
1: goes with the noun that it's attached to.
2: Yeah. But like, for example, okay, for, um, for spatial, he has DA as the suffix. Yeah. And then he says, example above. Amda. Um, now does that mean, is that da on above, the suffix yeah, on the right. um? right.
1: This am? Right, this is an example of prepositions being produced um, schematically. Okay. All prepositions regarding space will have the suffix, which again yeah. is a funny and unnatural thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, so systematically do it is unnatural, I mean, you expect sometimes in, in prepositions and postpositions certain patterns to appear, but this one seems funky. Mm-hmm. He
0: has some odd... Um, uh, aspect and mood choices
2: in where
0: in his uh, I don't know where is this um, in the auxiliary fir- verb ex- inflections. Oh yes, uh, was a- but he has he has progressive, perfective, and habitual um, definite. I guess is
1: I don't know. Boy, he loves I his resonance. Imprec- his what? Resonant consonants. L's and R's abound. M's and uh, N's. Where well, there? that's
0: it's an elf lang. So um, yeah, I can have
1: those.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm looking at uh, his. He has those, and he also has these semantic aspectuals: relative, transient, and generic. The relative. I'm trying to figure out. I guess it's. Um, a relative is uh, just like doing something that makes a change relative to the current state without any goal in mind or anything.
1: Right. This is Um, more, this is more, this is much more of the lexical semantics coming up. Yeah. Although, I mean, mean, in general, for beginners, I recommend thinking carefully, you know, if you're ready to move on to this next stage, think about the lexical uh, aspect think about the internal um telicity of your verbs and, and how that might interplay with other things
0: mm. mm-hmm. and the transitory is a single event like a yeah. stage direction that's that's interesting that's, that he would use that idea that uh this is what you would use for stage directions. but um well I think it's yeah, something...
1: There's not enough detail here to know, for me to determine what exactly he means by that, but whatever. I think,
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what it is. And then the, the, uh, his m- moods are like some of them. There's speculative possibility, deductive necessity. That's interesting that he merged a few of them. Quotative hmm. slash hearsay, which. That's interesting. He puts that into epistemic evidentials. evidentials. Okay. It is evidential. Um, But he calls it epistemic, which is weird. But uh, he has assertion, speculative possibility, deductive necessity, uh, and then under evidentials, quotative slash hearsay, and then sensory, which I guess it means uh, a particular sensor.
2: First hand, yep.
0: Yeah. Um, well,
1: yeah,
2: right, 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 right. 95122 says it there. Yes, he to make mm-hmm. modality.
1: I mean, that's, again, the normal um, break typically is
2: uh, – normally you expect the default <laughs> thing to be – why are you giggling, Mike? Um, I'm sorry. I was reading – I saw the note, uh, The last example is somewhat artificial for the tactile modality. And the example sentence is, he is felt to be coming. That doesn't so. make sense.
1: Well, Well, it does make sense, but only in a highly inappropriate way. Yes.
2: I'm guessing maybe (laughs) that's why I was giggling.
1: (laughs) I don't think think he intended it that way. Um, Right. Normally in evidentials, you expect sight to be very, very important in terms Mm -hmm. of if you're going to, if you want to make distinctions by your mode of perception, then you expect sight to be default and then other things to follow. So calling it a sensory evidential is a bit funny. I would just call it direct experience or direct evidence and the rest are, and the other is quoted if you're saying, but you know, it's it's the terminology um, distinction.
0: Both are marked. It's weird that both are marked. Is that optional, that is also weird?
1: Or? Yes. Yeah. I, I don't know. No.
0: Don't know. Um, and then he also has deontic some deontic ones: imperative, permissive, permissive slash possibility, and then obligative slash necessity. It's like His... he has two necessitives that also have different um different secondary meanings. I uh, get yeah, the. There's not really enough information on these things for me to figure out because when you're doing moods, you have to kind of figure out okay, how does the mood interact with all sorts of other semantic things to actually create the meaning because of right
1: just the way and with works. other and with other things that have been said, which we don't have big complex examples in this language
0: mm-hmm. yeah, so unfortunately, like he has lots of moods, but I don't know exactly what they do. <laughs> Um, and then he has polarity. He does mention the scope of negation. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. That's good.
2: Yeah, um, we we approve of that. Yes. That ooh, I think is El- Elvish uh, has the same kind of thing with neg- negation. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So has, I just found a note like, for the the. I'm just going to interject this quickly. Um, David Peterson has a note saying that Amanyar predated the ergative trend in Conlanging, mm. and he might ah. actually have he might even have kicked it off.
0: Oh. oh that's cool. So he just figured out found the uh the ergative stuff Inverts, early yeah. on and yeah. that's nice. Um I do know, looking at the post positions again now. Um yeah, those suffixes go on the post position itself. Yeah. Which is another bizarre thing. You don't I mean you can have postpositions on with um you can have ad positions with inflections, but I've never heard of marked classes of postpositions. It's it's a strange way that animals. he phrased it. They do they do take pos- specific cases,
2: and that's an Which, interesting mm. thing. So I mean that seems um, kinda like finish.
0: Yeah. The the direction ones take ablative, spatial takes adhesive, temporal and associated take dative, and the instrumental uh, class of Take take the instrumental uh, case. So that's um again. There's not really enough examples to get a sense of what these are, or even a list of all the postpositions. It looks like um so it looks like you'd have to have a lot of postpositions to really justify having classes of them. I think.
2: Or um oh well using oh I'm sorry that's not class in this case um never mind <laughs> mm-hmm. yes uh-huh. um with the with the classes that he was it looks more like that's a note on how he how they came about less and less of a this is how they are you know it's not like they're um it doesn't seem like it's an open class that you just stick things on and create them it's some that this is how they came to be and uh it's kind of background information I would yeah. guess mm hmm yeah um
1: I wonder if he knew about Ladan or if this came to him. Well, I don't think Lojban does this. It has six different kinds of genitives.
2: What was Let me. I'll find that.
1: Uh, the reason I ask is because Ladan makes a number of possessive distinctions, and so does Amanyar. It makes six, which is quite astonishing.
0: Uh-huh.
2: Think, uh, what, what do they make?
1: Let me, I'm trying to figure out. Um, it's in the noun phrases area. I don't have enough detail here to know if these are... And we don't have enough interlinears for me to know if these are different um, declensions or or different grammatical forms. Mm
2: -hmm. You said there are six what was that?
1: Uses for genitives, and I'm trying to determine if they are genitive. I think he
2: just
0: has a genitive, so... Yeah, I
1: think so. All right, so never mind.
0: But he has a bunch of different uses listed.
1: Um, the problem with the syntax section is you never know when a section is actually going to contain something and when it's going to take you <laughs> into a blank that just says, you know, working on it. Huh.
0: Yeah, he has a lot of under-construction signs on this page. Yeah, well.
1: Which, sad course, but true. Is the age of it, yeah. Um, um what was I going to say? Um... Uh, Another thing I really appreciated is his discussion of word order, such as it is, really considers pragmatics carefully, which, you know, it could be better, but it's it's an awfully good thing to start with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's another place I think, you know, beginners who want to start thinking about this will not – will find his intro, I think, a good starting place.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Word – People think of word order and they just put, you know, SOV or VOS or SVO and don't think that much about it. But word order changes often has a lot of different changes depending on what kind of
1: clause you're using right? And such. Um, and we don't have um, his section on... Uh, subordinate clauses is missing, which also would be many opportunities for interesting deviations as well. Again, it's it's just so frustrating. I don't know how much of this he actually worked on, but never put online.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, yeah. Um. That's the main thing about this conline. There are a lot of interesting things to look at. There's a lot of interesting information there. However, as rich and detailed as it is it's still obviously unfinished um there's just and yes you, n- n- this this is true you cannot really finish a conlang but there's obviously sort of gaps and stuff in what we can say about it and unfortunately unlike many other conlangs we can't actually have the author come on the show
2: alas yes. no
0: um but I think we've covered quite a bit of sort of the the this language, and I think we can probably wrap up this uh, this little session. It's a very fascinating thing to look at, and I'm I'm glad that uh, this is the first one that we did the only do the conlang yes uh, show format for because produce so much discussion and
1: you know I think the big things for for beginners to take from this one is look about the ergativity stuff he presents it in a digestible format that's a little I mean it's it's still somewhat complex but not as complex as an actual full blown language grammar natural language grammar is going to be Um, and there's some clever thinking about determiners which strikes me as a mix of realistic and or, or naturalistic and non naturalistic but People might get some interesting ideas there as well. I mean, there's sort of full of interesting ideas. You just have to pick the ones that have, you know, a little more details because some sections, unfortunately, as we keep yeah. saying, are a bit sketchy.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, when, when you yeah. do, when you do look at this language, do realize that there, there's some things that are very naturalistic and there's some things that are completely bizarre off the wall. So depends on what kind of language you're looking to create, but you might want to also take this as a starting point to research other things so that you don't end up copying, like if you're gone for naturalism, so you don't end up copying some of the weirder things like the adjective classes and stuff. Right, right. Um. So, can we move on to our feedback then? Sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is a very long email but I'll try to sum up what he's talking about. Um, we had an email from a guy who is only identified as F.E.
1: Do you know it's a guy? Yeah, we don't know it's a guy. I was just thinking that.
2: A conlinger. Yeah,
0: that's right. A person. And this person says that, um, well, he heard us in episode uh, 40 mention the the, the, the ubiquity of British-esque varieties in fantasy and, um, said we weren't able to come up with examples. Let's see. Uh, and introduced the implications thereof, but weren't able to come with examples besides the Game of Thrones series, um, uh, and, and which William or Bianca noted largely features British actors. Um there's also an issue unaddressed that fantasy media like Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings films portray fantasy worlds explicitly based, at least partially, on an indeterminately ancient Britain. Okay, and then he says, um, Some examples that came to my mind in the, during this discussion that can't be explained away by native variety of the performers for, for the films were the films Gladi- Gladiator and Troy. While the former is not strictly fantasy in its pseudo-historical adventure genre, uh, utilizes the same, uh, linguistic trope. And then, so he mentions that Gladiator had lots of non-British, uh, actors, but, and they were portraying Romans, so really the, that, the, the accent they're speaking English Shouldn't matter because English didn't exist. Uh, mm. and, uh, he also mentions that the dialogue in Troy uses const features constant use of the term milord. <laughs> uh, and it shows up a lot in fantasy and historical films, but he thinks that that's, that term is not, was, was not used as a general address for anybody who didn't have the actual title of lord until very recently right so um, anyway, again it's it's uh,
1: he's talking about using certain sort of artificial hyper britishisms as a marker of genre mm.
0: yeah a lot of uh yeah a lot of affectations i will say that game of thrones from what i've been able to gather um they did actually specifically tra- have to train actors to specific accents because they actually used different regional accents of britain for different regions of westeros
2: i have to see that um, oh i have to see linthros
0: yeah um <laughs> like people in the north speak with a much more uh northern britain sort of accent uh mm, people fr- lots uh, of planets have a
1: north
2: Lots of planets uh, have a north. Yes, yeah, sorry, it's a Doctor Who joke. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas
0: people, the the Southrons, particularly around like King King's Landing and Casterly Lorac, have um, accents that are a bit a bit closer to received pronunciation. Though it's very, it's kind of hilarious to me that the uh, the Lannisters. Have H dropping. (laughs) Why is that that? hilarious?
1: Why is that hilarious? I don't.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's just that they're, they're, they're like the most, um, like they're the most lordly and like, um, the richest and, and arguably the most powerful people on the continent. But they're using this feature that's often associated with like, uh, Lower class, Poor well. people.
1: Well, I don't want to say, uh, yeah, I know better than to talk about British dialectology in public.
0: <sighs> yeah, I'm probably I'm probably, um, we'll get mail. horribly offending somebody. I shouldn't, <laughs> I shouldn't say anything about it. Oh, uh, my only exposure
2: I- has been in My Fair Lady, so I, I, pr- I say ahead of time I don't have any direct experience with that.
0: <laughs> I apologize for saying that. That's very, very bad of me to say. But shame on you. It seems like H dropping is something that's often sort of uh maligned. So it's funny that they have that have it to me. Maybe maybe somebody who's British can correct me and say that oh, this is just something that would be in the sort of Wales region or whatever's uh, equivalent to Castlerley Rock but um that westeros is like explicitly shaped like britain anyway um the and um lord of the rings is based is based in british mythology or celtic and germanic mythology and it's supposed to be sort of a mythology for britain in some ways so i understand that the examples from Gladiator or Troy, that's obviously just more just Kudsprachen thing that they're, they're showing the genre. Yeah. And a- by the way, uh, I, I, this email closes with, thanks for making the podcast. William's brain is a sexy beast. <laughs> I don't understand that. That,
1: that, that makes me happy. <laughs> anyway, I don't know.
0: I think, um, it's just, <clears throat> There's, there's just a thing of fantasy is British accents and science fiction is often American accents, I think. Sometimes they have British accents in, in, in sci-fi, but Mm -hmm. like, I know that there were, there's often Mm -hmm. like, like in Avatar, they had, they made the, uh, the Jake Sully an American, but he's an Australian actor and they trained him to, to, to speak as an American, he didn't do perfectly. Perfectly, no. I man. think
2: perfectly. it seems like usually when there's a non-British or American accent, it's mar- it's marked. It's there for a reason. Like I, one thing I remember in a League, league of Extraordinary Gentlemen, uh, Captain Nemo had an accent in there, and that was part of the like it was very distinctly for his character. Um, I'm I'm thinking I'm trying to envision. If there were a fantasy series where they were all speaking with, say, a Russian accent, or a, or um, you know, like a, oh, I don't know, if they had like a Spanish accent, it seems almost like it'd be, why do they all have that accent? But when it's a, they all have a British accent, I don't find myself asking the same question.
1: Right? You know, it's definitely genre expectations. It's funny to think about weird pseudo hyper Britishisms as the cringe for fantasy, but often it really is. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's 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 odd. I I I'd, I'd like to see some fantasy that had people speaking in American accents. That would be kind of fun. <laughs> Maybe it has to do
2: with uh, I know doesn't steampunk usually have the uh, Victorian um, like yeah, era but thing? This,
1: we 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 don't have yeah steampunk is still sort of as much a fashion event as it is a literary or other you know sort of performance.
2: Um yeah. event so
1: I don't th- I don't think the great steampunk movies have been made yet. Actually the only one I can think of yeah. is, is maybe Sky Captain the World of Tomorrow, mm. which again, British and English uh, well, American accents rather. Uh, um
0: I should say uh what was I gonna say? Um this idea of using the British accents in fantasy, I think part of it derives from the fact that sort of the the modern idea of uh, fantasy is that our modern fantasy literature basically all sprang from Tolkien uh, in some way. Yeah, I don't um, think it's that. I, I think
1: s- it's the fact that Americans yeah. have never had overt, and at any rate, royalty.
2: Mm-hmm. That's true. Okay. So, right, so
1: we have to plunder the culture of another land to to... to... Sort of convincingly fake that. Well, anyway, we would never do
2: any. We would never
1: do that. Right. <laughs> As we get a little far from the conlanging topic, but yeah. Yes. Uh, thank you, Fe, for the email. It's a good point about other other yeah. examples where where that. And used.
0: I'll I'll put the the whole email in there, and uh, I apologize severely for my stereotyping of features of, of <laughs> uh, English dialects.
1: But I did um, not mean to make you completely anxious, George. I just, <laughs>
0: I don't know. It was just as I said it, I was like, how can I actually put this delicately? And I just was blanking on how to actually tactfully say it.
1: (laughs) All right. Anyway.
0: But um, anyway, I will go to William. Do you have any final words of wisdom? Not this time. All right.
2: Uh, Mike? Um. No words of wisdom, but a, com- a closing remarks. I was comment with the middle voice that I mentioned earlier. Um, yeah. I was hang I was he- talking to my friends or I was typing t- typing with them. I said, "Hey, what are you guys up to?" And they said, "Dehydrating." And I'm like, "Oh no!" Thinking they were like, you know, ran-, ran they'd run out of water. But then when I got over there, I realized that they had just bought a dehydrator, so they meant they were dehydrating something, not they themselves were dehydrating. So an interesting little uh, shift there. <laughs> what? that's okay. great that's great <laughs> so it was it was very funny I, I thought of I thought of Con Langry and how much how funny that was so okay. <laughs> but um closing your remarks now. just uh you know um take a look at don't be afraid of the big thing like Amanyar uh try new things same as always same as always so nothing new I suppose but that's all
0: <laughs> I like that story <sighs> um... it's sweet,
2: dehydrating oh no <laughs>
0: Okay, so then I'm going to say happy Conlanging. You have been listening to Conlangry. You can find the show notes for this episode and all previous episodes at conlangry.com, including links to our featured Conlang and a few resources to help you make sense of today's topic. You'll also find links to subscribe to us on iTunes or through other podcatchers, to our Twitter, Facebook, and Google Plus pages, and a whole lot more. Questions, comments, and suggestions may be sent to conlangery at gmail.com. You can also submit those translated greetings we play at the top of the show or conscripts to display in our header. Please see the Contribute page for details. Thanks for listening.
2: Today I'm doing okay. My allergies are kind of crazy, so if I hear me muting periodically to blow my nose, by part excuse that, please. That's fine. I didn't think that'd be appreciated as a, you know, a nasal. Would that be a nasal? <laughs> <laughs> <today>? <laughs> yeah. Hmm.
0: <laughs> Blowing your nose—that would be something similar to a voiceless nasal, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would
2: be a fricative, probably, unless you like you stopped it up and then like an affricate. <laughs> oh yeah.
0: Well, that's weird because the articulator then is is mucus. Anyway,
1: <laughs> it depends how forcefully you. I look you forward to hearing that in the outtakes.
2: If your septum is not, <laughs> it, then it's actually like a like more of a like a something different at all entirely.
1: The articulator is mucus. Okay, nice. And I have one surprise to talk about when we start recording for the show that is, in fact, Conlang-related. But I'm going to, just oh. for
2: amusement's sake, save it for when we're okay. in in media race. I think that this week, like, I, th- I really think we gave Amanyar a, what, it, like, what it deserved. It really deserved a full, like, nice, meaty massage like we gave it. A quick question. When you guys do, um... When you use word builders, or word generators, do you... Like, say you have a set of 20 words, like, 20 English words. Do you, like, go in and say, I'm going to match these up? Because I find my problem is, like, I don't know. I guess what I'm going to start doing is not worrying about whether I feel like those natlang words or – I'm sorry, the conlang words match a natlang thing. They'll develop that way. Like, usually I try to think, okay, for a word like frost, what's a word that really – when I say it, it makes me think of frost. But I guess it kind of just develops that way, right? I mean, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't do that. Very except for idiophones, I do not sit around and worry if
1: you know this combination of noises somehow expresses the ens- you know the essence of
2: sneeze or yeah I'm, thinking that's why I'm or whatever I, I mean, I'm
1: thinking it's just, that, yeah. you just it be, it becomes a pit from which you can never escape right if you have to meditate extensively yeah. on a word for fork
2: yes, exactly. I think that's why um I have been less than thrilled with lexicon building because I've been deep in meditation about forks and sneezes, yeah.
0: Well, I. What I have is I have my giant list of 3,000 uh, randomly generated roots.
2: What do you use? Uh,
0: and I look at that. I, I use awkwards to generate my mm. roots.
2: Got it. And okay, I go look awesome. at
0: that, and I say, okay, uh, I sound out a few different ones, and I find one that sounds good. Mm. And sometimes there's some sound symbolism there, sometimes
2: there's not. So, I think that in the language, like just like when I learn Spanish or Chinese or Russian, when I first learn the word for, you know, to eat might be yeast or something. I, when I first learn it, of course, it doesn't have that tie to it because it, it's something new. But as you use it, I think that develops um, kind of naturally with the language as you as you use the language.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, for me, the meaning is always primary, and then the question becomes coming up with a word. I don't do it the other way around. I mean, at the very beginning, you just need to pick uh, some words quick for for playing around with your grammar ideas, but like, George, I have a giant list of randomly generated roots, and then I have a special program that will take me to a random line in that, and I will usually oh. accept what I find there.
2: Not always. Sometimes you, I tweak, but... I have enough dice. I could just roll some dice for that. Oh my gosh, yay D&D. <laughs> or you could use a freaking computer. You when have you have a, I don't know it. how you to make a, a program like that. What?
1: But, I just uh,
2: eyeball the whole...
1: Giant list and look at no because that and, that and be, just one. becomes yet another way for me to overpick certain sounds.
0: What is what is what is sudden like doing?
2: What is what, what, is
0: doing? what doing? My ISP is not letting me go to Frathwiki. Is it up?
2: Uh, My ISP
0: scared. hijacked the page.
2: I got the Frathwiki okay.
0: Oh, uh, why is Suddenlink hijacking Frathway? How do you
1: know it's Suddenlink?
0: Because it takes me to a Suddenlink page here. Mm.
2: What is I Suddenlink?
0: That's his ISP. I don't need to
1: see, George. That's fine.
2: Is that like Chrome?
0: It takes me to search.suddenlink.net.
2: What's an ISP? And I know it's, it's an internet, internet service it's like provider.
0: It takes... it it takes me to one of their it takes Aww. me to a link farm